Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Well, welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards, another episode, and I'm Judy Sedgman. I'm sitting and chilling out, really, literally, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my beautiful, wonderful, brilliant, and uh, exciting accomplice, Christine Heath, and I'm in extremely beautiful weather in Hawaii. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, not to rub it in or anything. Not but. to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she teases me because it's winter in Pittsburgh, and winter doesn't really make much difference in Hawaii. And um, so today we're going to talk about uh, essentially, you know, I am not my diagnosis. And the ways in which people, uh, once they're diagnosed, uh, especially with a mental illness, people see them, uh, even their, even you know, people in their life, but also therapists will look at the chart and go, "Oh yeah, this person is a whatever." And I know I, I've uh, I've had this happen to me often, where somebody will refer somebody to me. And they say, well, let me tell you about what their problems are and what's going on with them. And, you know, the real problem is they're borderline personality and they've got this other issue. And, you know, on top of that, they've had an issue with bulimia or something. And and I go, like, don't tell me all that because I want to just listen and hear who the person is. And I remember the first when I first got involved in the principles, I was sitting in on a group that someone was doing with a group of people who were had psychiatric diagnoses and so the the group leader asked you know everybody to just say their name if they felt comfortable doing so so we could all speak with each other and he's going around the circle and somebody would say you know I'm George I'm Joan I'm Susie I'm whatever and he came to this one woman who said I'm schizophrenic (laughs) and he he rips his glasses off and he looks gets really closer and says Oh, schizophrenic. He said, that's a really well-known family. Are you part of the Philadelphia schizophrenics? <laughs> My was mayor. And she was just, she did just what Chris is doing. She started laughing. <laughs> and she said, you know, I've, I've been a schizophrenic for so long, sometimes I can't even remember my own name. And, <laughs> and that goes to show you the way in which can fall into this trap of thinking that we're the whatever label we've been placed you know it's almost as bad as being called the most beautiful girl in the class or something you know because everybody's going to get old sooner or later but um you know it, it is uh it is a habit that we have to to get a diagnosis and then wear it like it was a part of our identity and take it on and the worst thing people do that I notice with people that I've worked with is they go Google it. You know, they don't know anything about it. They go see a therapist. The therapist says, well, and after all this conversation that we've had on intake and so on, I would say that your problem is that you're, you have social anxiety and you're also slightly borderline personality. And they go, oh, okay. They write it down. They, take, they run home to their computer. They look it up on Google and they're horrified. 
because of course you can always find you know something that you've done that's in that list and you think oh my god i am that I, nobody ever told me that before and the next thing you know they're living up to their diagnosis they remember all those things that it said in google and they're going like yeah well you know maybe i'll do this or that and it it's it would be comical if it wasn't sad you know it's, it's interesting because people do that especially people that are a little bit more um, uh, like they're looking for what's wrong with them so they can fix it. So it, it's it, funny. I had this, this guy who was really um, very um, uh, struggling. He was struggling a lot. It's like, he was very negative. Didn't trust anybody. He was very kind of um, made it hard for him to, connect with anybody. So obviously it made it hard for him to listen to me because everything I said seemed like he didn't believe it, right? No, that's not true. No, just couldn't do it. But he kept seeing me. And um, and believe me, I suggested he try other therapies, that he do other things, and there's no way he would, he would leave me. And so then I had to, he needed to um, get a, a, a pass from, he was dropping out of his graduate program and he had to, because he couldn't, couldn't get his work done, couldn't go to class and that kind of thing. And um, so he said, I need you to, to, to do a, you know, an assessment and, and a diagnosis and send it to my school so I can get this medical leave. I said, you sure you want me to do that? And he said, yeah. I said, well, you're not going to like it. And, and he said, well, that's okay. I, I want you, that's what I've been telling you to do is to find my, if you could diagnose me, then I would know what was wrong and then I could get better. And <laughs> you've, re, you've refused to do it. So now you have to. I said, okay, up to you. So, of course, it comes back with um, that. The testing comes back and say that he's got, you know, paranoid personality disorder and uh, ma uh, major depressive disorder and uh, things like that. So, I said, now I, I want to go over this with you because this is like, I'm just telling you that this is what you wanted, right? So, I talked to him about it and I talked to him about it in the softest way possible. And he goes, oh, that's ridiculous. I said, see, I told you. That, that this is the deal is that it's just a picture in time about the way you think about yourself. That's what this testing does is it tells me how you think about yourself, how you think about me, how you think about anybody. But, you know, that's not going to make you better it, by finding out what's wrong with you. That's this is the, the big thing. But you can see in the healthcare workers that if you talk to people behind the scenes, I'm going to out some therapists now, they'll talk about their clients by their diagnosis. This is the borderline client. This is the bipolar client. This is the schizophrenic client. Uh, this is, you know, like, oh, that, like even, even um, when they are walking through life, you know, it's like, oh, that person's anorexic. And, I mean, it, it, it gets in everybody's thinking to X degree, but when that's on your mind all the time, you start relating to the illness. You start relating to the symptoms of thinking rather than to the real person. And there's a disconnect there and clients can feel that. So we just started this um, domestic violence group and um, it's for people that have, I mean, when you, if you have trouble with domestic violence, you generally have something else that's not quite, you're not living in peace and harmony. Let's just put it that Let's way. Put it that way. Right? Yeah. And um, so uh, we have to, you know, meet with people and see what's going on with them and that kind of thing. And this guy called, he was referred by his probation officer. 
and he called and he talked to our receptionist who herself is a three principles practitioner. Like this is the person that answers the phone, the first line of contact with with people. And we believe that from the get-go, we see people as humans, that this is a human being who's using his thinking in a way that's not helpful, and that's it. And so she talks to people, and he's she's talking to him about the program, about what he needs to do. And he stopped her and he said, oh, my God, thank you so much. Every other program I've called, they talk to me like I'm dirt. They they talk to me like I am a, 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 not a person. And he said, I, I'm going to come to this program because I, I can't tell you that I haven't ever been treated this kindly and from this feeling from anybody. And Debbie laughed when she's telling me about it. She said, I only talked to him for two minutes. You know, but that it's like people, clients can tell that you're therapizing them, that you're talking to their illness. And some people think that's what they should do because they've been around the system so long that you should be fixing what's wrong with them or at least indulging what's wrong with them and acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, that's that's really an amazing thing because I have a client that I've seen uh for for on and off, not not constantly, but it was part of this women's program that I was a part of, who had um a very serious psychiatric diagnosis that was placed on her when she was 19. When I was seeing her, she was in her forties when I started seeing her. So that's like more than 20 years. She believed that this is what was wrong with her. And when she was told that that was, she was in college and just graduating when she was told that. And after she was told that she uh, ended up on disability very soon because she thought, well, she looked, looked into it. And she thought, well, I'm not going to be able to hold a job. I'm not going to be able to. She managed to get all the way through college and a master's program. But then she got this diagnosis and she thought, well, I'm not going to be able to do anything. And she became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And by the time I started seeing her in her 40s, she was living in a, uh, in a kind of an assisted setting. And, and um, you know, she was really depressed and she was very sad about what she had done with her life. She would look back on her life and say, I never amounted to anything. I never did anything here. I had this education. I never, but you know, I have this problem. And so she said, so I've been to a lot of therapy and everything, but I'm, you're different. So, you know, what can you do about my problem? And I said, well, I can teach you to stop thinking about it and where it comes from that you're, that it so dominates your thinking. I can teach you how to get a, an understanding of why it seems so important to you. And she said, well, it is important. That's why it seems important. It's been my whole life. And I said, yeah, well, I can teach you that that's not your whole life either. (laughs) And she was like, you know, this is too weird. First, she said, this is too weird. No one's ever suggested to me that I could be different. People are, and she's on all kinds of medications. and, And I said, well, you don't have to be different. You just have to be who you really are. You know, different is, different is what you have made yourself by thinking about all the things that are wrong with you and kind of living up to those expectations. But, be, but before that, there's a, there's a little beautiful human soul, you know, that just wants to be in the present moment and live life as it, as it happens. 
And she said, yeah, that's kind of how I was living before this happened. You know, I was in college and I had a career in mind and, and I was excited about life. And then, you know, I, I don't know, she got into some kind of situation with a, a bad breakup or something like that that ended up sending her to therapy. And that's how this all started. Well, here's the funny thing. So now it's been like eight or nine years. She's in her 50s. She has her own apartment. She volunteers. She doesn't, she doesn't have a job. She volunteers. She has friends. She goes out with her friends and does things. Um, she is living a, a really nice, comfortable, small, but ordinary, happy life. And she still has to check in with her therapist because she's uh, on, still on some medications, although they've reduced a lot of the dosages quite a bit. When she goes to the therapist and tells them about her life, they always try to get her to go back to assisted living. But you can't. <laughs> and, and it's so funny because she said to me, I am doing it. You know, I took the bus to the therapist. <laughs> I, I got to the office, you know, I kept my appointment. I'm taking my medication, you know. And she said, and they're telling me, no, you can't live on your own that you can't, with this diagnosis, that's just too dangerous for you. And so she said, I get to the point now where I go, I, I ask for my prescription refill to be left at the desk with the nurse, I'll pick it up. <laughs> Unless the therapist wants to talk to me and then I don't listen. <laughs> she said, I just sit there and nod. And I say, fine, thank you. I take my prescription and I leave. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great. And she said, well, I don't think they think it's that great, but she said, I do. She said, I get a little kick out of it, actually. <laughs> now, the thing that's sweet about that is that she's embraced her life. You know, she, she stopped spending a lot of time regretting all those years that she didn't do things and, and being angry with the people that told her she shouldn't. And she's taken kind of like, okay, uh, I'm now, here I am. I'm going to do what I can. And, you know, she's like, to me, she's the most delightful person because she's like discovering herself. Mm -hmm. Like she, she discovered that she was, uh, she liked crafts. And so she started making these little crafts and then a gift shop started carrying some of the little things she was making. They were very good. Mm -hmm. And so she's had all these little discoveries about herself that, that were always there, but she never acknowledged them because she, all she thought about was I've got this sickness and it's keeping me from doing life and that's the power of thought you know when we take our diagnosis seriously and then other people take it seriously and then it becomes like all we talk about or every time we set out to do something we look it up and see no people with my thing don't do that it changes our life but it isn't it that changes our life it's us adapting our life to a to a to an illusion and, you know, the other thing as you're talking, I just realized is that when we do that as a helper, we lose out on the connection because we're really living in our thoughts about the person, which may or may not be good, but we're not really connecting human to human. We're connecting therapist to sick person. And that's what we're seeing, and that's what we're looking for, and that's what we end up living in. So that's how it becomes like a secondary trauma, or that's how it becomes like a side effect of traditional therapy 
and focusing on all of that illness and making that be the the end and the and the the be, the beginning and the end of therapy is uh, what we miss out on is just being present in the moment with another human being and looking for their health by living in our health and by having faith in in the universality of mental well being. That's right. Yeah. Because you know when when you when I talk to traditional therapists and they're like talking to me. I mean, sometimes I hire people that, you know, are still, they're open to learning the principles, but they're not there yet. And you can always tell because their little minds are going faster than the speeding bullet. They're always in the details, detail, detail, detail. And they got to explain everything that's wrong with the person. And I really don't care about that. I mean, I mean, I want to know if somebody's going to kill themselves or not, or if they're, you know, functioning at a really low level, they need a lot of support. But I'm not, I don't care about the content of the fact that they're doing all this negative thinking. I just see it as a level of consciousness, but I see what that does to the therapist because the therapist then lives in the world of pathology. Well, I'm going to tell you that's going to have an effect on your family. Your family's going to tell you that you're working too much and maybe your work is getting to you. Your family is going to tell you that you're not connected to them. And, and there's so many people in the world to help. You just see more and more of how, how much people are suffering and how much you have to help them. And, and that puts you in a position of getting ready to be stressed out because really every person has to help themselves and your job isn't to fix them, but what's wrong with them as you see it. But if you see that they're this way and they then kind of adapt that thinking for themselves What's the chance of the person finding their health? Yeah, it's it, it's it's really a, 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 a it's like a, a cycle that the system, the, the therapy system, gets into, focusing on what's wrong, trying to fix what's wrong, the person not being able to do that, the person coming up with more bad things, more problems to solve, and you just get in this mode of trying to either problem solve by changing their thinking, which is what cognitive therapy is, or mindfulness, which is, uh, you know, trying to do techniques to fix what's wrong with you and, um, or, or anything else that you're doing. It's like, you're trying to manage things after the fact, because you see that that's real for you and your therapist sees that's real for you. Well, what's the chance of anybody recognizing it's an illusion created by thought and consciousness in the moment? You know, it's interesting you say that because I had a client one time without going into details that came into the Women's Resource Center where I was seeing people and it was the first meeting and this person came in and was hostile and uh, quite hostile. <laughs> and so I, I sat there for a minute and listened to this hostility. And it was like, I don't know why I'm even here. I don't know why I'm bothering. I've been through so much therapy. It hasn't helped me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you probably can't help me either, but I'm sure you've seen my file. So you know all the things that are wrong with me, which I hadn't looked at. And I was sitting there listening and listening. And, and the person said, so, yeah, tell me your assessment. You know, what do you think? What is, what are you, what are you going to say is wrong with me? And I said, nothing. She said, nothing. And I said, yeah, nothing is wrong with you. And she said, are you crazy? 
And I said, no, why do you think I'm crazy? And she said, well, it's the craziest statement I've ever heard come out of a therapist's mouth. (laughs) And I said, well, welcome to the world of the future of therapy. I said, you know, basically, there's nothing wrong with you, but you think there is. And so you're living in your thinking about yourself rather than living your life in the moment. And she said, well, how could I not think I am? I was, you know, so many people have told me this and told me that. I got... And I said, well, do you believe everything people tell you? And she, and she looked at me kind of funny. She said, is that a trick question? And I said, yeah. And she said, so I'm supposed to believe what you tell me too? And I said, yep. <laughs> I said, I was hoping you'd say yes so I could say great because I'm telling you there's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, she really, she started to laugh. And she said, okay. She said, well, I have to say, I don't know what we're going to do together, and I don't know how this is going to go, but it's more fun than I've ever had in a therapist's office. (laughs) It was so funny. And, you know, she really was fine. I mean, honestly, everybody deep down is fine. Now, she had a lot of of negative thinking and a lot of habits of thought that, you know, as, as she started to calm down, she started to see them. But habit of thought is not an illness. It's your habit of thinking a certain way. That doesn't make you sick. It means you a hip, means it makes you a habitual thinker. So, you know, it, it the other thing too that that you start to see is that whatever you get focused on when you're doing that kind of work, you see it everywhere. So every every client that comes in, what you see in them is whatever's on your mind. So people will go to different um uh People will go to different um, trainings and then they start thinking about a problem and then that's what they see in their patient, right? So it's such a relief just to see a human being in front of you rather than seeing what's wrong. Wow, Chris, that's so true. That's a really profound statement because when you just see the uh, another soul, you know, another perfectly healthy thinking <laughs> human being just like you and we all have our habits and we all have our moments and we all have our ups and downs and they do too it is such a nice thing because it's like uh you make a connection heart to heart instead of brain to brain this brain to brain is the therapist saying this is what's wrong with you and the client saying well yeah but what about this other thing blah 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 and you know what you're doing is you're just you're you're subtracting humanity of the moment away. And you're also not talking to the spiritual essence of the person. You're talking to the product of their thinking, which is not them. They are not their thoughts. They are more than that. We are all more than that. That's and with that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to recognize. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> great minds with that. We'll see you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Aloha. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 